I like protests. I like uh, civil unrest. I'm a big fan of civil unrest. Even, even especially violent civil unrest. It's a lot of fun. The problem with protesting, the problem with becoming involved with or participating in any movement or organization or anything that involves other people is that inevitably some of the people on your side or on your team or in your group, they're going to do some stupid shit. Like... Maybe you're a white person from the southern United States and your concerns that your local government has decided to take down some statues glorifying Confederate heroes. Now, maybe you don't consider yourself a racist, but you really feel those statues represent a part of your history or heritage, you know, don't worry about the fact that America's less than 250 years old and barely has a history, or maybe that's why you're so attached to those statues, you know, that's the only history you've got, and you don't want to see it taken away, and you didn't get the memo that those statues were put up specifically as propaganda to support Jim Crow laws. So you decide to march in protest the removal of the statues. And then some fat, sweaty internet Nazis in polo shirts toting tiki torches, they roll into your town, start chanting blood and soil and ranting about the Jews. And you didn't sign up for that. What the fuck do Jews have to do with Confederate statues? Mm, Nevertheless, you are now on the side of the idiots. It's not your fault. Some asshole showed up and took advantage of the media coverage to push their agenda. It's not even really your fault that you're confused about the difference between history and propaganda. Because governments throughout history have subverted historical events to prop up their own regimes. That's the pervasiveness of propaganda. You know, how are we all supposed to know the difference between, you know, real news, fake news? You know, you have to do the work yourself and no one has time to do all the work on every news story. But now you have to live with the memory or the, I don't know, bad taste in your mouth. I don't know if that sounds, if that's really emphatic enough, but basically you've got to, uh, in the corner of your minds for the rest of your life, unless you're successful in blocking it off, you've got to live with the fact that you supported the wrong side of history, despite your initial intentions, whatever the wrong side of history really means. You know, I'm I'm doubtful the accepted 
any accepted historical record has ever been morally correct or impartial. Maybe you are a white who's been upset by the murder of George Floyd and all the videos of police brutality since Rodney King or before. I mean, I've seen clips of, you know, the uh, civil rights protests and riots from the 60s. Um, Rodney King is Generation X, so Rodney King is probably the first national news example of police brutality that I remember seeing as a kid. Uh, and you're upset about all these, and now is a great time to march in protests. Things have reached ahead nationally. It's not just localized to the town, the latest uh, cop mur- or murder by cops has taken place in. Conveniently, protests are happening all over the country. So if you do want to protest, you don't really have to travel very far. It's happening in every major city, hundreds of small towns people live in. So you march. And at some point during the march, thousands of people all around you start kneeling. And so you kneel. You comply. Why, why not? Taking a knee has become a powerful symbol. It almost brought down the NFL. It's a particularly apropos image after the murder of George Floyd. But then, a bunch of fucking richy rich white kids who feel especially guilty right now about only growing up with other white kids, only going to school with other white kids. Maybe maybe they work with one sassy black lady at the office, and that is their the full extent of their personal experience of diversity. And these richy rich white kids start chanting, start a call and response chant of some bizarre pledge of allegiance from the upside down world with vocal promises to not be racist and promises to vaguely be better. And as another white person marching, you're like cringing inside. You're like, I didn't sign up for this shit. Thank God I've got my Corona mask on. Because if this video goes viral, I don't want anyone to recognize me. And then you're kind of hoping. You're like, where? Where are the rubber bullets and tear gas when you really need them? I'd rather get shot in the face with a sim round than see these crackers these Keebler elves try to rope me into absolving themselves of their privilege. Like, if you want to wash away your sins, 
the sins of growing up in and uh, benefiting, you know, from a, a still white supremacist system. Get baptized in pepper spray. Don't fucking rope me into your kneeling nonsense. We're marching. We're, we're, I got it. I'm, you know, I'm marching. Can't get the fuck away from you whiteies fast enough. Way, way to make a movement not about you, all about you. Are these scenarios similar? Yes. Are they identical? No. You know, one is ultimately still a good reason to protest. (laughs) And one was fucking idiotic before it even started. It doesn't mean you shouldn't march. You know, you can't control all the silly shit people are going to do when you get thousands of people together. It doesn't mean you should stay inside your house. That's democracy, mostly. Putting up with other people's silly shit. It's kind of like getting invited to Thanksgiving. You know, it's not your house. You're, you know, you're a guest. Someone asked you and, I don't know, maybe... uh, Maybe you couldn't afford to go home that year, or maybe you're in another town for work, and then some fucking bitch who you just met wants everybody to hold hands at the table and say grace. You know, my favorite is when, before you get to just eat the food, someone's got a fucking, let's go around the table And everyone say something that they're thankful for. (laughs) You know, and you bite your tongue and indulge the silly bitch because, you know, she made the turkey. It's it's the least you can do. Sometimes you just got to put up with stupid shit. What, are you going to not eat turkey? What, are you going to not protest the cops murdering people? Um, yeah, the tone of the protests is very, I guess, maybe the first, I don't really participate, I just walk along and, you know, I'm out there. A lot of it's sightseeing, you know, not that I disagree with anything, I support it, but I'm also, you know also kind of a tourist I'm just seeing what other people are doing um although this one what I like about these protests they're the tone is different than the women's march um the women's march the first one that happened um right after Trump got inaugurated was kind of interesting. I mean, they called it a women's march. It didn't really, it was really uh, an anti-Trump march is what it was. Um, And mostly I just went because I live in D.C. and I can just walk out my door, walk a couple blocks and 
oh, there's 500,000 people. That is what 500,000 people looks like. That's mostly what I wanted to see. Um, yeah. And that one didn't seem to have as much anger as this one does. Um, that march was pretty chill. The the first woman's march. I didn't go to any other ones because, I mean, I don't know. They tried to make it a yearly thing. You know, you can't keep recreating or reproducing things. And then, you know, the women's march was kind of, as far as being a march for women, it was kind of doomed to fail before it started because no one could agree on uh, everyone. You know, it's like a tax bill. Everyone kept trying to like put forth their own separate agenda. And then, you know, the organizer of the women's march, they, they want to keep out certain other groups of women. Like there were women who wanted to march who were pro-life and then they tried to keep them out. And it's like, is this for women or not? No, we only want specific women. And then it quickly became just the white woman's march. Um, sort of. And then the organizers of the women's march, uh, I think it was a couple black ladies and a Jewish lady, they got in some sort of anti-Semitic argument. Like the black women started quoting Farrakhan and the Jewish women, Jewish woman was like, oh, you can't. <laughs> I'm not down with Farrakhan. And then they split off and tried to make competing women's marches. And yeah. Yeah. They couldn't just stay on task. It couldn't just be, hey, for women. Uh, again, you know, sometimes you got to put up with other people's silly shit. Not that you have to put up with anti-Semitism, but, you know. Everyone's going to try to make it about their own personal shit. Like... There was one protest I, I really wanted to go to, and I didn't. Um, and that was the Standing Rock. Uh, Standing Rock, if I remember properly, this was, uh, I think it was after Trump was elected, but before it was inaugurated. So Obama was still in office. And the... Um, I don't remember where it was. It was like North Dakota, South Dakota, somewhere around there. And then, you know, some oil company was trying to put a pipeline near some Native American land, like a reservation. I think it wasn't through the reservation, but it was near it. And the Native Americans who lived on the reservation were like, fuck that. Your pipeline's going to spring a leak and like, you know, contaminate all of our land. Um... And then, so there were people protesting. And it was a big lefty protest went out to uh, kind of stop work on the prop line, you know, to, on the pipeline to occupy the work site. And then, you know, and I was kind of following it. And I'm like, well, that's fucking bullshit. Like, move the pipeline. <laughs> or don't build the, do we need another pipeline? Like, fuck the pipeline. So I thought that was kind of bullshit. Um then they had great footage of the local cops, like the local sheriffs, these fat, chubby fucks were like spray. And this was in the winter. It was like 30 degrees or below 30, below freezing, definitely. They were turning water cannons on the protesters, you know, in these freezing conditions. 
And I was like, oh, no, you can't fucking do that. And I am a big uh, anti-authoritarian. I try not to actively dislike every cop I see, but I see the uniform. It sets me off. I'm like, well, you know, maybe, maybe they're a nice person. But then I also think, like, why the fuck would they want to get 40 grand a year in order to prosecute their own fellow citizens also. <laughs> I, I I try not to immediately think cops are pieces of shit. Um, although it's hard to when all the video comes out. You try to chase up. Maybe that's an isolated incident and, you know, the media... The media does like to, you know, blow things out of proportion for ratings and blah, blah, blah. But then it's like, you know, incident after incident happens and it's harder and harder to, uh, I don't know. Not that I ever want to make excuse for the cops. I just try not to rush to judgment and hate somebody when I haven't met them. (laughs) But I see a uniform and I immediately want to not like you. Despite the fact that, you know, I wore a military uniform for 10 years. I see someone in a military uniform now and I go, fuck that guy. (laughs) So I'm watching these, you know, these cops turn water cannons on protesters. And I'm like, oh, no, no. So more, more than the, you know, blatant disregard of you know, private property, which I assume an Indian reservation is, um, that I disagreed with. I'm not necessarily, um, always on the side of, you know, Native Americans. Um, just for that fact, you know, I don't have the white guilt towards, you know, what my ancestors may or may not have done to Native Americans, most of my ancestors, you know, the Native Americans were pretty much wiped out before my ancestors got to this country. But, yeah, it's hard for me to muster up white guilt for that when that was, you know... I don't imagine Mongols feel sorry for all the shit Genghis Khan did. I think they're actually proud of it. I'm definitely not proud. <laughs> I think Genghis Khan is still a national hero of Mongolia. You know, I'm definitely not, you know, proud of what my ancestors may have done, but yeah, I'm not hanging my head in shame. It's, it's hard to feel guilty about stuff that happened in the past, but you know, they are Americans and they have some lands and for the government just to put a fucking pipeline through, I'm like, yeah, that's bullshit. Um, but then, you know, when you have images of, of cops and protesters, I'm, pretty much always on the side of the protesters. So after that incident, there was a movement um, put together by a couple veterans who also thought it was bullshit. And they were organizing something like two or 3,000 veterans to go in to Standing Rock with body armor, gas masks, ballistic helmets, just to form like a defensive line between the cops and the protesters. And I was down for that. I was like, that looks pretty cool. 
I would do that. So I started looking into like, where is Standing Rock? Do I get a plane ticket? Do I got to like drive? Do I got to rent a car? Like, how do I get there? I go on some websites. Um, apparently, you know, if you're a veteran, you want to participate in this particular thing. There's a packing list and anybody who's been in the military is familiar with the packing list. Unless you haven't been on a deployment, in which case you're a fucking bitch. Um, but, you know, this is your packing list for your deployment. So it was kind of set up on those things. I'm like, great. Packing list. What do we need? You need a vest. Ballistic vest. You need a ballistic helmet. You need a gas mask. You need. It's cold. You need your cold weather items. You need a sleeping bag. Whatever. Got to bring some food. Bring some water. Who knows what's going to be available there? Is it like, you know... <laughs> Is it going to be like Burning Man where there's no money and everything's on a barter system? What's going on? So I'm looking into all of this and I'm quickly realizing like if I want to go there and protest, this shit's going to cost me probably somewhere between three and five grand. Not counting all the work I miss because I'm self-employed and uh, you know I'm not on a salary. I can take time off anytime I want but I'm not going to get paid for that time. So I'm calculating all the costs and this is minimum. This is going to cost me five grand, possibly more. And then I'm like, I don't really have five grand to spend. I don't, I don't just, most veterans don't just have ballistic vests sitting in their closet. That's not usually an item they let you take with you when you leave the military. You know, you got to purchase that yourself. And then it's actually kind of hard to get a ballistic vest because they don't like to sell it to regular civilians. And unless you're plugged into the gun world, which I'm not, you know, the gun prepper um, end of the world's motherfuckers, you know, the motherfuckers who are preparing for the race riots. Um, you know, so I'm looking online, looking at how to get a ballistic vest. Most places are telling you you have to be like law enforcement to get one. But I'm like, how do you check? Um, ballistic vests are not cheap, you know, um, the cheapest ones I think were maybe four or $500, but when you're getting a ballistic vest, you really want to get the cheapest one. <laughs> and hopefully the cops are just going to be shooting, you know, paint rounds and rubber bullets, but who knows, you know, I'm sure a cheap ballistic vest can shrug off some rubber bullets, but, and then the helmets, you know, that's a whole other thing. Um, gas masks are hard to get and they're pretty, you know, if you want a decent one, they're pretty pricely. I think the cheapest gas masks I found were like old stock from, uh, from, uh, Soviet block, Czech, Czechoslovakian weapon stores. I think you could get like a cheap Soviet made gas mask for, under a hundred dollars. Um, you know, these, a 30 year old gas mask. So yeah, this quickly started, you know, just going to this protest quickly became like an expensive time consuming proposition. And I was kind of like, I don't really know if I can go do this thing. Plus I got to work, you know, I still got to make money. I don't really have, I didn't have a lot of savings at the time. Um, I don't know if I can take this much time off just to indulge whatever sense of righteousness I was feeling about watching a video. Um, 
But I didn't also want to not go just because that's the whole point, you know. If you're going to protest something or be a part of something, you should make a bit of a personal sacrifice. And it would have been a bit of a personal sacrifice. Not even counting maybe I get frostbite or, you know, I lose an eye to a rubber bullet or something like that. Just the financial and time commitment. So I didn't not go because of that. I didn't go because maybe a day or two later, there was another video. A bunch of veterans had already arrived. The local cops were upset, as they should have been. That was the whole point. Upset that all these, you know, war veterans showed up. In you know they tried to accuse them of of being militarized, which was funny because they have like vests and helmets on. And then uh, I guess one of the leading guys was like one of the leading veteran guys was like, "Hey, um, we don't have you guys have guns. We don't have guns. You know we're basically just turtles out here. We just got you know a shell in our head, a shell in our backs, and a gas mask. You know we don't we don't have any." fancy attachments to anything um and then there was a point where veterans got into a tent with the leaders of the native american tribe and then suddenly all the veterans like are kneeling and then one of the guy one of the guys in, in charge or organizing the veterans like started apologizing for old-timey shit, old-timey Wild West shit, like, you know, like Custer-type shit. And then they started crying. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to sign up for this shit. <laughs> like, if I had gone, put my life on hold to go there for a couple weeks to go help out, suddenly I'm going to be roped into this. Like, this this isn't this demonstration of what? I mean, yeah, it was very weird. And then that's, I decided I'm not going. But I kind of regret not going now. You know, it would have been a cool experience to go um, and protest something that I really did not like and then to let some people you know kind of rope you in to something you didn't really want to be a part of I mean ultimately is breaking down and crying and apologizing to some Native American chief for shit that happened you know a couple hundred years ago who cares it's not, it, to me, it was a dumb, cheesy moment, but whatever. The cause was still good. Um, so really, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, there have been a few videos of some silly white people doing some silly shit. It should not keep anyone from protesting. It's all right. The, the broader, greater message is still valid. And I do still kind of regret not going to that Standing Rock thing.
even though some people were doing some silly shit. Um, and I could be fucking wrong. Maybe I'm the silly one for being, maybe I'm just uncomfortable with grown men crying. <laughs> maybe it's just, uh, and you know, I've seen and firsthand and seen some videos of some dumb white people doing some stupid shit, but they're still out there marching, you know, and that's the important part. Um, they are, these silly white people are still nowhere near as dumb as some of these other whites, um, who I've seen on the other side counter protesting these fat fucking military slash cop rejects who probably failed the drug test and couldn't get in or, you know, their diabetes kept them from, from being admitted into some sort of, you know, uh, wannabe fascist organization showing up in their little towns in Oregon and Washington and South Carolina and Michigan, deathly afraid that Antifa is going to come and, and murder all the white people. <laughs> So they just stand out in the streets with their AR-15s waiting for some dreadlocked transgender kid to roll through with a brick. Like, Antifa's not coming to your one-horse town, dude. Why? And if Antifa shows up, and I really haven't seen much evidence of them doing anything in any of these protests, uh, maybe the media is, like, ignoring them on purpose, uh, which is probably a good thing. I mean, that's how you... Uh, but I doubt it. I mean, the media just wants to create as much drama as pro- possible to get ratings and get for clickbait. But, yeah, I haven't seen much coverage of Antifa at all. Um, but the idea that you need an AR-15 <laughs> to fend off <laughs> some malnourished, dreadlocked transgender kids, that is the dumbest thing I've seen so far. That is way, that shit is way dumber than some privileged white kids kneeling and, you know, promising to not be racist anymore. Uh, yeah. My favorite slur. It's not my favorite slur for white people. Privileged is a great slur for white people. Um, I haven't heard anyone call it a slur yet. Um, Maybe because, I don't know, maybe because slur, calling something a slur implies that it's not true. Um, But privileged is a pretty good one. My favorite that I was ever called as a white is Keebler. When I was 14, growing up in Berlin, uh, as a little fat kid, a little long-haired, red-headed fat kid. I look like a chubby, red-headed girl. That was adorable. <laughs> but uh, I was getting on a bus. Um, I was getting on a bus. I forget where it was going or where it was coming from. Um, and this was, there were two bus systems. There was the local German bus system, and which was great, you know. It was like a Nazi's dream, the way this public transportation system worked. Like, you get a bus anywhere in the city every 10 minutes. All over. You get a train. 
It was great. Um, and then I was not on one of these buses. I was on one of the military buses. So these were American military buses that really only uh, American military and their dependents could you could use. And I was a dependent, meaning that I was an army brat. And so these, you just show your ID card. I had like a little yellow military dependent ID card. I just show the bus driver the card and then I can, and then this bus will take you to specific American neighborhoods, American military neighborhoods, not quite bases. Um, but just all the Americans who were living in the city who worked for the military, they would all get this military housing, which was kind of like a project. Um, I don't know. I may have just, did I talk about, yeah, I did talk about when my dad beat up the ice cream man. I think I described what the neighborhoods were like before. So I'll keep that to a minimum now, but so I'm getting on one of these buses and then, so there might be some army brat kids. There might be some soldiers on there. And, uh, so I remember I went to sit down next to this guy this black gentleman, he's like a soldier. I have no idea how old he was because I was 14. Everybody looked ancient to me back then. He was probably 20. He could have been 40. I have no idea. Um, so the bus is already kind of full. I go to sit down. And this isn't really a bus where you can stand properly. There wasn't really a place to stand and ride the bus it kind of had to sit it's kind of like almost like a school bus setup there's no real like great standing area in a school bus um so i just go to sit down next to this dude this black soldier and then he gives me the oh hell no (laughs) and i give him a look and he's you know he's got some friends around they're just like young soldiers i'm assuming at this point i don't know to me they seemed like adult adult grown-ups. Now I'd be like, they're just punk-ass army kids. Um, and then he goes, oh, hell no. I ain't sitting next to no Keebler. <laughs> and I was confused. I'm like, what the f- what's a Keebler? Uh, and then his friends look confused. They're like, all right. And they're, and then some of them, they kind of have this look like, why are you, why are you causing a scene? I think this was a guy who just caused scenes, um, which can be fun sometimes. <laughs> uh, and so I look at him and I was a little punk ass kid. I was not going to be intimidated by anybody, even though I totally got my ass kicked. Cause I was a little chubby, fat, long haired, redheaded kid. Uh, you know, I, I, w- I thought I was punk rock grunge heavy metal back then i was down i was down to throw down um and i was on the wrestling team i think this i think this was my first year i wrestled um so i thought i was a bigger badass than i really was uh so i'm like what's a keebler (laughs) and he's like a keebler you know the motherfuckers live in the tree. And I'm like, are you talking about a Keebler elf? Like the crackers? He goes, you know any other motherfuckers that, you know any other white motherfuckers that live in a tree? Yeah, Keebler. And I started laughing because it was hilarious. I was like, oh yeah, I get that. That's good. That's better than cracker. Better than honky. 
better than Peckerwood. I think those are the only three I've heard. And I had to look up Peckerwood. Like, apparently, Peckerwood is just what they call a woodpecker in the South. And I'm like, maybe that would apply to redheaded motherfuckers like me. I don't, I don't, I don't know what woodpecker and white person has to do with each other. Uh, but anyway, Keebler was great. That was very descriptive. I was very appreciative of that. And uh, so I just laughed and I didn't move. And then he didn't say anything else. And yeah, it was fine. And I was always hoping that Keebler would become more of a thing for white people. But I guess it never spread from that moment. (laughs) But I would definitely encourage anyone who's not white to start calling white people Keeblers because it's hilarious. Failing that, keep up privileged. Like, Keebler's not very effective. It's funny. I wouldn't say it's very effective, but if you really want to make some white people uncomfortable, keep calling us privileged. We do not like that. <laughs> that makes us very uncomfortable. Like, I get... I, I, I I've never really even been called not white privilege i've had a few white girls say i have male privilege i'm like all right bitch um i'm not taking that shit from a white girl maybe a black girl not taking that shit from a white girl um but yeah whenever i hear the term white privilege i definitely like it makes me uncomfortable I have to, you know, immediately I start coming up with defenses about how how I'm not privileged. You know, I start yeah, I start thinking, well, you know, I did my parents didn't pay for college. I had to join, you know, I joined the army, go to college. I didn't get this, I didn't get that, you know. And then I have to stop myself from immediately, you know, defending myself in an imaginary court, an imaginary privilege court. Um, so if it makes me uncomfortable, it's got to make most white people wildly uncomfortable. And so keep it up, non-whites, keep it up. I'm all for making people feel uncomfortable. Whatever race you are, I'm an equal opportunity making people uncomfortable supporter. Um, or Keebler, because Keebler's fucking funny. Uh, why is it our government was completely unprepared for a pandemic? Not enough ventilators, not enough hospital beds, no vaccine, not prepared to shut down not prepared to offer any sort of financial assistance to people that are put out of work. Everything's just kind of rushed, slapped together, breaking down. U.S. government completely unprepared for for any aspect of this coronavirus situation. The world, pretty much the world was unprepared. 
But there were some countries that actually like, well, we can't do anything about the virus, but if we got to if we got to wind down the economy, we can immediately inject money in an efficient way to businesses and and individuals who are going to need you know, going to need a bridge between now and when the economy opens back up. Ours was not. Ours couldn't even handle that. And yet, as soon as as soon as a bit of civil unrest unfolds, as soon as we have an inciting incident that sparks protests and some riots in dozens of major cities across the country, our government's totally prepared for that. I didn't I didn't see any cop missing any riot gear. They seem to have plenty of shields, plenty of helmets, plenty of vests, plenty of pepper spray, plenty of paint rounds, rubber bullets, tear gas, like our government was complete completely prepared to put down any sort of public uprising. There was no like, oh shit, where did I where did I put my helmet? I don't think any cop asked that question. Oh shit, they gave me a helmet. Where, where what I do with it? Where is it? No, they were ready. I mean, they were they were ready to put protests down before the protests were even organized. Why is that? Defund the police. That's another movement I can get behind. I noticed uh, when I got out of the army. 2003 um i come back to the states and suddenly all the cops around dc northern virginia they're walking around the streets looking like i did in afghanistan like what (laughs) what are you guys doing with fucking fatigues and submachine guns for supposedly to to combat terrorism that never happens um why are you guys rolling around the streets in armored vehicles like you're ready for an invasion so all that anti-terror equipment came in very handy for use against our own population i just find that interesting completely unprepared for any sort of economic restitution or pandemic response. Like every ball that could have been dropped has been fucking dropped and then tripped over. But God damn it, if they weren't ready for those riots. I mean, those the armored vehicles even, you know, I bet they never missed an oil change. Those armored vehicles had just been sitting in a parking lot for 15 years. I bet they never missed a, missed a service date. I bet they got all the windshield wiper fluid they need. Uh, and that really, that has really made me realize is what the police are really for. Because we think of the police as, you know, to enforce the law. And I guess to some extent they are. But 
really, they don't stop crime. They catch criminals. So you have to, most of the time, you have to commit a crime and then the police will catch you, you know, ideally. I guess a lot of times they don't actually catch you. Um, but there's the flip side of what the police are supposed to do, and that is to maintain order from the phrase law and order. And there's a distinct difference between law and order. So you can have a law-abiding society, but not really have an orderly society. And you can have vice versa. Um, Because laws are pretty much objective. Laws are written, and then they're passed into law, and they are specific to whatever the infraction is. Um, and then there can be sub-laws within the law. So murder, there's different degrees to murder. You got first degree, second degree, third degree, and this takes to, into account different situations in which you might murder someone. Did you plan it? Was it heat of the moment? Was it accidental due to negligence? Whatever. Um, these are very specific and objective, and you've either broken the law or you haven't broken the law. They can accuse you of breaking the law, and then supposedly you are supposed to be presumed innocent. I don't really know how true that is, but that's the ideal situation, is the state has to prove their case that you did break the law beyond a reasonable doubt. But order is subjective. Who's to say what is orderly and what is disorderly? And that's really kind of a culture. Living in D.C., that is definitely a cultural thing. So I live in northwest D.C., which is definitely more white. It's the more white part of the city. Um, And it's the, you know, the more wealthy part of the city. But it's not all white. Um, And then it's kind of touristy, too. So you'll have all kinds of people coming up into northwest D.C., um, I can't say the same for Southeast DC. I don't know if you have all kinds of people going into Southeast DC. Uh, I've maybe been twice to Southeast DC <laughs> as a white, and that's probably pretty common. Although it is, you know, from what I've heard, it is getting more and more gentrified as more middle class white people start buying the cheaper homes in Southeast. Um, but as far as Northwest D.C. goes, some neighborhoods are pretty orderly and some are less so. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the white, black, Latino ratio. Because whites like things very neat and tidy and orderly. Um, and blacks and Latinos don't give a shit so much. It doesn't mean that they're breaking the law. They're not doing anything illegal. They're just not talking in hushed, polite tones. Um, And white people get uncomfortable when blacks and Latinos make things a little disorderly. And then that's a significant amount of tension in D.C. is, you know, white Karens moving into a black neighborhood, kind of gentrifying it, 
and then demanding that the black residents who've been there much longer suddenly start changing their quote-unquote disorderly behavior because they're making the white Karens uncomfortable (laughs) with their, you know, with their loud conversations from across the street to each other. That makes me laugh. Uh, but maybe it's a, it, it's a black thing. Maybe it's just a black DC thing, but <laughs> I love when black people in DC will just hold a conversation with each other from across the street. So they basically have to shout across the street and it's not a, it's not a, it's not a quick exchange. It's not a short pleasantry like, Hey, how you doing? It's a whole 20 minute conversation. And I'm like, you guys can just cross the street and talk to each other. Uh, and I probably think that, you know, because I'm a white and I was more or less brought up a little more orderly, you know, don't cause a scene that might disturb the neighbors, that kind of shit. Um, which it seems to me a lot of black people just don't give a shit about. <laughs> They're like, no, everybody's going to hear our conversation. It's fine. Uh, and as you know, it's like being called privileged. It might make me a little uncomfortable, but then I laugh at myself for being a little bitch about it. And then I really enjoy at how uncomfortable all the other white people are feeling in that situation. I used to work at a Washington sports club, which is like a local gym, like a chain gym. And I was, uh, I was the only white trainer there for a while. All the other trainers were black and there'd be two of the other trainers would just be shouting a conversation at each other from across the gym. You know, this is a good, you know, 50, 60 feet apart. And then usually they're training like a white client. And I love to see the two clients, the two white clients of the two black trainers looking uncomfortable because their trainers are having a very loud conversation from across the gym with each other. I would really enjoy those uncomfortable moments. Um, So that's, you know, that's an example of what whites don't consider orderly. And we kind of have the police in our pocket. Mostly what they do now is enforce order. It's the, the, the broken windows scenario that has become so popular in like modern police tactics. Um, you know, if it's roughly, if you have a broken window in a neighborhood, it's inevitable that pretty soon all the other windows are going to be broken. So it's basically like, keep the windows fixed, you know, which may have some merit. It may not, I don't know, but that's become kind of the backbone of modern policing. And then how it's manifested itself is cops basically keeping all the disorderly not perceived as good for business behavior in the black communities and keeping it out of the white communities. And that's why, you know, people who live in mostly white communities, white people especially, are not going to experience the same amount of police aggressiveness that black people are or even Latino people are. But I think from what I understand, black neighborhoods still get it worse than Latino neighborhoods. 
Um, so that's what I've been learning recently. This this difference between law and order. We kind of just say them as the as the one phrase. Law and order, they're the same thing, but it's not the same thing. It's kind of like truth and justice. We'll string those words together, but they're they mean two separate things. But we conflate them. Um and now I'm I'm really kind of recognizing things, at least in American society, that that is a product of wanting order and really has nothing to do with breaking the law. Like really why the cops were fucking with George Floyd and why they ultimately killed him is not because he was breaking the law. It's because it wasn't orderly for him to be there. Like the initial call was for an elite, something illegal. He gave a counterfeit $20 bill to a, to a bodega clerk. But really, I mean, if I had had a counterfeit $20 bill, I probably have in my lifetime and passed it on. I've never had a store clerk catch it. So maybe I haven't, but I assume counterfeiting is a, is a sophisticated operation and it just ends up, you know, in circulation. So anybody can get a counterfeit $20 bill. So if I pass one of these to a clerk, they're like, hey, this is fake. we got to call the cops. I'm going to be annoyed and be like, hey, well, first I'd be like, well, well give me my fake 20 back. I'm going to try to spend it somewhere else because <laughs> I don't want to be out $20. It's not my fault I had a fake $20 bill. Why should I be the one, you know? Why should I be the one left without a chair in this game of musical chairs? So, fine, I wait for the cops to come. I'll be like, look, man, I don't know. I don't know how I got this 20. I guess if you have to take it for evidence or something, sure, take my name, fine. I'd be on my way. I doubt they'd take me to jail for having one $20 bill, fake $20 bill. So, the cops come for that. That's a law. Maybe I inadvertently broke the law. But I'm not doing any jail time for that. It's, you know, I doubt they'd even, like, cuff me. I couldn't imagine they'd cuff me for that. I'd put up a fit if they tried to cuff me for that. Uh, But George Floyd is black or was black. So, and he's just kind of hanging out. That's another thing. It's not orderly. What he was doing was not orderly. He's just kind of hanging out, you know in his vehicle, parked on the side of the road. I've heard some people say he was drunk or he wasn't drunk. Maybe he had been drinking. So that's another disorderly thing. So you got a black man in a vehicle, may or may not be intoxicated, hanging out just on the street. That is not orderly. So the cops may or may not have wanted to bring someone in for the legal infraction, for the law part of it. But definitely, they got to bring him in for the disorderly part of it because they have to maintain order. That was part of the mandate we gave them. And I am not, like, trying to absolve the cops at all because they're clearly all pieces of shit. I mean, I think the guys who just stood by and, you know 
definitely the guy who killed George, but the guys who were just standing by and not even <laughs> doing anything. Like, they're kind of even worse pieces of shit to me. Um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. I've just been really thinking a lot about what is, you know, what is law? What is order? Who's to say what's orderly? That's what kind of gets me. That's a that's a vague, subjective term. And orderly, really, is pretty fucking boring. I've been to I've been to a bunch of all white, orderly, richy rich neighborhoods. They're fucking boring, and they're not as orderly as they pretend to be. I mean, those fucking rich white kids are partying it up. They're all on drugs. They usually just take it somewhere else, but lots of meth, coke. I mean, we have groups of disorderly whites. We've got groups of young, drunk white girls have their own special flavor of disorderly and young, drunk white dudes. Different, actually, yeah. You've got the poor whites and the rich whites. And those are different too. You can get a bunch of frat kid type white dudes with their collars popped up, all drunk, wearing their fucking dumb salmon colored cargo shorts. Um, and you can just get some, you know, redneck, drunk, rowdy redneck motherfuckers with, you know, flannel shirts with the sleeves cut off, dressed like lesbians. <laughs> and girls, you get trashy, trashy drunk white girls trashy rich drunk white girls those are your options for disorderly whites uh fucking idiot sports fans are another one yeah so we definitely have the disorderly shit i guess maybe we just keep it to specific areas and it's usually not just hanging out on the streets um i guess whites find that appalling you know, that's why a late white lady will call the cops on a black barbecue. You know, it might get a little loud, might get a little rowdy, but it's definitely not boring. <laughs> I fucking hate barbecues because I've only been to barbecues with white people and they're fucking <laughs> boring. <laughs> <laughs>